As I drive around, I'm always interested of the messages people will take adhesives and, and place them on their cars. I don't mind it because it provides us a segment for Table Talk Radio bumper sticker theology, but there's one that, that really caught my attention. Uh, it was a bumper sticker that said, Keep your theology off my biology. And uh, I think that's what the abortion argument has become uh, for, for many pro-choicers, uh, that, that it, it's, a, it's a mere matter of religion or it's a matter of, of theology, uh, certainly not a matter of morality or ethics. Uh, thank you for downloading the Internet-exclusive edition of Table Talk Radio, Table Scraps. I'm your host, Evan Gigline, and with me today for this edition is Dennis DeMauro. He is Secretary of the National Pro-Life Religious Council and President of Nor- Northern Virginia Lutherans for Life and author of the book, A Love for Life, Christianity's Consistent Protection of the Unborn. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Dennis, uh, first off, why did you write this book, A Love for Life? Well, I'm in a group called the National Pro-Life Religious Council, and I represent the uh, Lutherans for Life on that uh, on that council here in Washington, D.C. And we were having a meeting, and the, the discussion came up, you know, we don't really know, or the organization didn't really know, the positions, uh, abortion positions, either pro-life or pro-choice, of various Christian denominations. And so we wanted to start, uh, create a resource that would have that in there, kind of an easy access for people to use to uh, have a resource that would explain the positions of all these different denominations. And sometimes they're very nuanced, so it's important to have it actually written out. And then I suggested that we actually go back, not only do that, but actually go back and look at the history of Christianity, once again going to it, especially concentrating on the last 30 years, to see what the history of the pro-life movement has been in Christianity and since Roe versus Wade. And uh, I think... Uh, uh, well, you, you've you've seen it, so uh, <laughs> that's the well, resource. Yeah, I, I think you've uh, accomplished what you set out to do uh, concerning the former uh, approach. Um, I have to admit, when I started reading the book, I kind of had the attitude that how many how many honest Christians really uh, would be pro-choice? You know, I, I guess I, I was under the the ignorant assumption that that most Christian and Christian churches, uh, except maybe a, a rare few. Uh, would be uh, against abortion. Uh, but you spent a great time in your book documenting uh, mo- most of the, the mainline denominations, their positions on abortion. Uh, any of the Christian churches that have a pro-choice position, do they offer a theological stance, or is it simply uh, bowing down to the popular opinion of the day? Well, you know, you look at these, you look at these, uh, and, I, and I point out a couple of them in my book, uh, a couple of the positions are... Uh, I mean, the theology in it is is just so terrible that you you, you can't you can't really uh, I think get any kind of a good perspective as where they're coming from except to say that they're going along with the popular culture. I mean, one of the things I point out in the book is Michael Gorman, who is a uh, the dean up at the Ecumenical Institute uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, a good friend, and he really kind of nailed it on the head when he discussed the issue, you know, he said that if you look at the Bible, the Bible's worldview is one where abortion just doesn't have a place. It just doesn't fit in. I mean, if we look at the Bible, and we look at all the Old Testament references, you know, for instance, Psalm 139, how God takes life and, and, and creates it, molds it in, in a mother's womb. Uh, Jeremiah 1, how God has a plan for Jeremiah. 
and 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 then all the view of the way that that we look at family and life uh, in the New Testament. Uh, you know, the idea that somehow in the first century church uh, they'd say to a woman, "Hey, there's someone who can do abortions. Uh, here's three hundred dollars. Uh, go down there and take care of this, and, and just don't tell anybody." I mean, I can't imagine that happening. It just doesn't fit in. And so I think with that, we have to really then take a hard look if we're pro-choice Christians and say to ourselves, you know, does, does my faith really, and abortion, do they really fit together? And I think if they take a real good look, they'll find that it doesn't fit together. Well, let's take a quick look at some of the uh, Christian pro-choice arguments you cite in the book. Uh, first, uh, Daniel McGuire, who's a professor at Roman Catholic Marquette University, and he authored the book uh, Sacred Choices. Uh, in the book, McGuire argues that the uh, pro-life position was only uh, a number of acceptable positions on abortion over the history of the Church, and said that the current pro-life position is motivated by a, a preference to the celibate lifestyle. How do you respond to that? Well, I think uh, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, uh, you know, one of the things that surprised me that came out after I wrote this book was uh, Nancy Pelosi. She came out, I guess it was about three or uh, about a month ago, and she said a number of things. Uh, she said a number of things that just were totally false, but that pro-choice people like McGuire are throwing around all the time. You know, the idea that the early church thought it was okay to have abortion up to 40 days, and the idea that the, the Catholic Church has never really come down, uh, except for the last 50 years, uh, de- you know, uh, decisively on the matter. And both of those facts are absolutely false. Um, the first one, of course, uh, Augustine thought that abortion was sinful from the moment of conception. Now, there was some question as to when a you know, real baby was formed in a womb, but there was no question as to whether or not abortion was sinful. He held to that. And the idea that the Catholic Church only uh, believed that abortion was sinful in the last 50 years is absolutely laughable. The history shows over and over, canon law after canon law, it prohibiting not only having an abortion, but procuring an abortion with somebody else. But let's talk specifically about what you asked about McGuire. Um, you know, McGuire uh, and these other pro-choices that I point out in this uh, chapter number six, Breaking from Tradition, what they try to do is they really can't come up with a theology that's going to make uh, abortion okay. So what they have to do is they have to say, ah, these pro-lifers are bad somehow. And so what they'll do is they'll say, well, uh, they just they just uh, advocate the celibate lifestyle. They're, they're kind of have a hang-up with sex. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing they'll say is that they're, they must be a misogynistic, they hate women, and they're doing this because they hate women, and they want to keep them down. And all of those things are, of course, uh, absolutely ridiculous. What I point out in the book is that, for instance, uh, John Paul II, uh, our last pope, he uh, had very uh, poignant things to say about sex within the bonds of marriage and the conjugal act, the fact that it was a giving uh, of a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband, and that was a, a loving relationship, uh, which which is a, you know what he calls a mysterious mutual attraction. This idea that the Catholic Church or Christianity uh, or, or any other Christian denomination would somehow say that uh, the celibate lifestyle is the only way is it's it's I don't know if it ever existed, but it certainly doesn't exist today. I actually have the Pelosi uh, clip. Uh, loaded up. Oh. I was going to get your response to it. Uh, one, one of the oh, games wonderful. we one of the games we play on Table Talk Radio is, is name that theologian. So I was going to play with you, name that politician, uh, but you already spoiled it for me. But uh, let's go oh, ahead. And, no. <laughs> let's play that clip, and I'll get your response on the other side. Okay, I would say that as an ardent practicing Catholic, 
Uh, this is an issue that I have studied for a long time. And what I know is over the centuries, the doctors of the church have not been able to make that definition. And uh, Senator, uh, um, Senator, uh, St. Augustine said at three months. We don't know. The point is, is that it shouldn't have an impact on a woman's right to choose. Roe v. Wade talks about very clear definitions of when the child, uh, first trimester, certain considerations, second trimester, not so, third trimester. There's very clear to say this isn't about abortion on demand. It's about a careful, careful consideration of all factors in between, that a woman has to make with her doctor and her God. And so I don't think anybody can tell you when life begins, human life begins. As I say, the Catholic Church for centuries has been uh, discussing this and there are those who've decided... The Catholic Church at the moment feels very strongly that begins that. at the point of conception. And this is like maybe 50 years or something right. like that. So again, over the history uh, of the church, this is an issue uh, of controversy. But it is, uh, uh, it is also true uh, that God has given us, each of us, a free will and a responsibility to answer for our actions. And we want abortions to be safe, rare, we want to reduce the number of abortions. That's why we have this fight in Congress over contraception. My Republican colleagues do not support contraception. If you want to reduce the number of abortions, and we all do, you must, it would behoove you to support family planning and, and contraception, you would think. But that is not the case. So we have to take, uh, you know, we have to handle this as respectfully. This is sacred ground. We have to handle it very respectfully and not politicize it as it has been. And I'm not saying Rick Warren did, because I don't think he did, but others will try to. That was Nancy Pelosi uh, with Tom Brokaw responding to the uh, public forum with Rick Warren. Uh, what's your initial response to that, Dennis? Well, you know, I've heard this clip a number of times, and every time I, uh, I, I hear it, I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed a little bit more. Uh, this time, when I was listening to it, you notice that part where she talks about, uh, she, she says, the child, and then, then she stops she stops herself, and she starts saying, uh, she, she comes in, uh, first trimester, second trimester. She's like, oh, I said the wrong word. <laughs> I said child. Uh, you know, and uh, you, you hear that, and you're like, you're, you just cringe. You just can't believe it, because what she's done is she, she knows the truth. She doesn't want to talk about it, because if, to talk about the fact that there's a real child involved, then all of a sudden it's not just a choice. There's, there's, a, there's another person involved. And, and she, she, she comes up with that. I, I, I couldn't believe it as I just heard that. But there's so many things else that are bothersome in this. Um, she says that, that Catholic, the Catholic Church over the centuries has debated this. Well, it's not really true. The Catholic Church really hasn't debated it over the, the centuries. What it's done is condemn it over the centuries, <laughs> over and over and over. And the reason it's condemned it is because abortion has existed as long as the Catholic Church or as long as Christianity has existed. And it picks its head up every once in a while. And every once in a while, a scholar at a university will write something saying, oh, it's abortion's okay. So the Church has to over and over condemn it, condemn it, condemn it. And then every time, of course, the, the, the Catholic Church would update its canon law or uh, uh, any of its other statements uh, on morality or what a priest uh, should do for penance guidelines in, 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 uh, in the confessional, then, of course, the subject comes up again. 
Another thing that she writes that's interesting, too, you know, it's kind of the gospel according to Roe versus Wade for Nancy Pelosi, unfortunately. Did you, did you hear what she said? She said that Augustine said that abortion was okay up to three months. Okay, now think about that. Now, first of all, what she's talking about is that Augustine and some of the other medieval uh, thinkers, not most of them, but some of them, felt that a child wasn't exactly existing in the womb until about 50 days of gestation. So there was a little question as to when the child existed in the womb. Now, people say, well, why, does, why did anyone care about that? Why would people talk about that? Well, the reason that they discuss that is that the question is, if someone has an abortion, should they be convicted of murder and executed for that abortion? Now, uh, what was, it was decided that, uh, in some cases, that the, the, the penalty should not be an execution because uh, a baby did, uh, per se did not exist course, they didn't know what, what child development was at the time. But they made this kind of arbitrary number of 50 days. Now, the question, however, is did Augustine think that abortion was okay? No, naturally he did not. He thought it was very sinful from the moment of conception. But there was a question as to how do we punish a person that has had an abortion? Uh, do we punish them with simply penance? Do we uh, uh, con con consider them a murderer? And so on. And these questions uh, kind of circulated in the Middle Ages. But nowhere does anyone talk about three months. Three months is the, is the number from Roe v. Wade, of course. So, so somehow Pelosi is like, is, is morphing these numbers in her mind. Uh, Roe v. Wade, Augustine, it, it's all very unclear to her. And it's, <laughs> if, if it weren't so uh, completely uh, disgraceful, it would almost be funny. So if, if, but uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. If, uh, by, by Pelosi taking what uh, Augustine said out of context... She's actually arguing the opposite of what uh, Augustine was really saying there. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what she's doing. So what, she's, what they're doing is they, they like to take uh, any kind of debate over child development that's in the Middle Ages, and then they say, oh, well, that means, of course, that abortion's okay. Okay? Now, first of all, that's totally false. Abortion was sinful from the moment of conception for everyone in, in, in the Christianity at that time. But the point is, is, is that they will try to use that to confuse the issues. They change categories on you in order to confuse you and to make you think that's okay. But here's the real rub. It, even if that were true and they were consistent, they would believe that abortions after 50 days would be completely sinful and should be convicted by law. Of course, they don't do that at all, do they? <laughs> they're, they're okay with abortions all the way through, all the way through nine, uh, nine months. So it's, it's, it's a bunch of, it's, it's twisting the truth and, uh, and, and, and in the end, not being honest at all. What, what I find most shocking about Pelosi's quote there is uh, when she said that uh, defining when human life begins is not the point uh, of the discussion <laughs> of abortion. She said that the point is a woman's right to choose. Um, so it's more important for Pelosi that women would have a right to choose than the fact that they may be killing a human life. Um, and it's the fact that uh, I, I find to be uh, the most common argument for, for those of, of pro-choice. Yeah, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. Another thing, too, that I noticed was this whole idea of between a woman and her God. Now, what does that mean? Is, is it like a little God that you put on your mantle and you pray <laughs> to it? I mean, I don't understand what that phrase often means, between a woman and her God. It's almost like there isn't a God, but this woman has chosen to make one for herself, to craft it out of gold, as, as, they, right. as they did in the Old Testament. Put it on her mantle and then ask it, a question, should I have an abortion or not? And 
the god being very much similar to her own thinking tells her, yes, go well, ahead. You it's know, becoming it's, about... It's, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, the, the god of of the day is choice, obviously. I mean, uh, and another another bumper sticker that I, I found as I was going through was, uh, uh, if you're against abortion, then don't have one. As if there's not an objective morality and, and ethical uh, issue here, it's really just about an individual's choice. No, I, yes, you're, you, that's, that's absolutely right on the money. This idea is that not, there's no objective truth, so, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the truth becomes my ability to do whatever I want to do. My, uh, you know, I become, of course, the God. And so now I have a situation where I just make decisions and, and, and they're just right because I've made them. So it's, it's, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Tom Davis is is another author you quote in your book. He was a, a, a minister in the United Church for, uh, Church of Christ. And he's authored the book uh, Sacred Work. He argues uh, his pro-choice position by quoting Exodus 22, you shall not abuse any widow or orphan, and says that taking the choice away from the woman would be an abuse of the uh, disenfranchised group like women. Uh, what's your response to, to Tom Davis? Well, first of all, I, I, in thinking about reading Tom Davis and McGuire, you know, someone should give me some kind of a treat for actually having to have read those books <laughs> to prepare my own. I've often thought that uh, I deserve something, uh, you know, a snack of, you know, brownies or something like that. But, but yes, the, the, the Davis book was also very troubling. And can you imagine the idea that somehow the idea of taking care of widows and orphans, uh, I should get out of that the option then to end the life of a child growing within me. I, I, I mean, <laughs> wouldn't the orphan kind of have something to do with that unborn child, if you think about it? I mean, so why wouldn't we want to protect that unborn child as well? Do you see the theology that, that they put forward? It's so dubious that they're just reaching for anything they can to try to uh, give their position some kind of a strength. And it's just like Gorman said, it doesn't fit in. So they have to try to make it fit in, uh, and uh, it's it's you know I, I give the other the other example there as well. Uh, you know, a number of scholars that I quote were talking about the day when I think the population went to five billion uh, on the earth, and uh, they were trying to make some kind of a, a theological premise that you know uh, this is this is uh, in order to have the eschatological view of the perfect end of the world or the, the time where God makes uh, heaven and earth, uh, we somehow have to support international uh, abortion services all over the earth, otherwise it'll be too crowded and we won't reach this, this perfect uh, manifestation of God's view of the earth. I mean, uh, you know, it's another sense of how they were just reaching for anything to try to back up their position in the Bible but it just comes out uh, as totally ridiculous, this idea that I need to fund international abortion services in order for God's plan for the world to, to uh, manifest itself. I mean, uh, I, I can't say too much more than that. Regular listeners to Table Talk Radio know that we're very stingy with our pretend Table Talk Radio points, but we will award you a 1,000 Table Talk Radio points uh, for having read those books. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I deserve it. Yeah, Trust yeah. me. Uh, pre- <laughs> President-elect Obama, during the campaign, 
in a speech to Planned Parenthood, said that the first thing he'd do in the Oval Office would be to sign the Freedom of Act, uh, the Freedom of Choice Act. Would you uh, tell us what that's about? Well, the Freedom of Choice Act is a what they say it is is that it will simply codify in law what has been decided at Roe v. Wade. So it's the idea that they're simply going to vote on whether they like Roe v. Wade or not, and then make that a law. But if you look at the Freedom of Choice Act, it is a sweeping uh, pro-choice document which would wipe out virtually every law that in any way limits abortion in the United States. And that includes parental notification, parental uh, parental consent, any prohibitions on the funding of abortion for welfare mothers. Uh, the partial birth abortion ban would be uh, removed. Uh, any laws related to the restrictions of, um, you know, uh, medical sites related to, uh, you, know, you know, regulating those medical sites to make them uh, deal with emergencies and things like that. All those laws gone under the Freedom of Choice Act. And so, obviously, pro-lifers are very, very concerned because all of the gains that we've made in the last 30 years regarding abortion would be wiped out if this bill were to pass and the president were to sign it, and he's already said that he will sign it. So it's something we need to take very, very seriously. But I wouldn't panic too much. I don't believe, personally, that uh, the Freedom of Choice Act, as it is written, will be able to be passed. I just don't think it has enough votes. Uh, and most uh, other uh, pro-lifers that I've discussed with uh, believe the same thing. So I don't think we're uh, we're going to have, uh, in the next few months, all the pro-life restrictions that were made in the United States wiped out by the Freedom of Choice Act. Now, I may be wrong, but uh, I don't think so. I don't think they have enough votes. But they might have enough votes to codify uh, the, the uh, Roe versus Wade decision, and that's a large enough threat in itself. So everyone needs to be very aware of this and very communicative with their uh, congressmen and senators uh, up on the Hill to make sure that the Freedom of Choice Act doesn't pass in any fashion. What then uh, is in store in the next two to four years for uh, pro-life efforts? Well, pro-life efforts, I think uh, we right now have a Congress and a president that obviously is anti-life. And we need to understand that. And uh, there are a couple of things that are going to happen immediately. The first thing that's going to happen is that our new president is going to reverse the Mexico City policy, which is the policy of the United States uh, State Department, not to fund abortions or any organizations that either uh, procure or, uh, or uh, promote abortion overseas. And uh, that will be immediately reversed by presidential executive order. And uh, so we will be once again funding uh, abortions overseas, as we did in the Clinton years. Something also we're going to have to expect is that the position on stem cell, embryonic stem cell research that was done by President Bush, will also be immediately reversed. Um, I'm not sure positively that will happen, but I expect it to happen. And so the saving of these uh, embryos uh, will end and we're also going to see a demand for human ova, which uh, will be needed for these kinds of experimentations, which will result from the funding. Uh, and that's going to exploit a number of poor women who are going to be given incentives to go through a very dangerous operation in order to remove ova or donate ova for these uh, medical experiments. So it's a very sad uh, 
point as well. The real area, I think, of fighting over the next two to three years is going to be at the state level in states where we do have a Republican majority and can probably still make some uh, inroads into making pro-life legislation and passing it and having it signed by those governors. So uh, that is still a great hope, and uh, I think there is a lot of work to be done on the state level, that, and a lot of good can be done on each of the state levels. So uh, that's something that's important as well. Another, another argument I oftentimes hear is that uh, you know, if, if abortion was illegal, then, then there'd be people in the, in the you know, back alleys with coat hangers, and, and then abortions would then be dangerous and be just harming the, uh, the danger of these women. How do you respond to, to that argument? Well, and the uh, the back alley abortion uh, question was something that was actually created by NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, uh, back in the uh, 70s. And Bernard Nathanson, who is now a pro-life advocate, at that time was involved in creating the false numbers that NARAL used to uh, basically say so many thousands of women are killed by back alley abortions every year. The number was... Uh, a complete fabrication, according to Nathanson. And uh, uh, the liberal press, of course, didn't check to see whether the number was accurate or not, because they, they liked that number. Uh, <laughs> I think it was in the thousands. But the fact remains that it was it was uh, less than 100. I, I forget what the number was. I've heard somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or 15 women in that year were actually killed by back alley abortions. So the, 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 the fact that, uh, you know, we have to compare the 1.2 million abortions that occur every year with the possibility that there may be 10 or 20 uh, back alley abortions uh, every year. And we really need to weigh the life uh, against life in that situation. And I think if one looks at it rationally, one will say that you simply can't compare the two numbers. Uh, The threat to the unborn is so huge uh, that we really have to take a stance. And lastly, Dennis, let's say uh, in in your traveling, you sit on an airplane next to someone who claims to uh, attend a Christian church but says that, that we must uh, remain pro-choice uh, to uphold the woman's right to choose. What's your response? Well, my response would be we need to think about this as Christians. What kind of church do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a church where someone has a situation where they find themselves pregnant? Do we want to say to them, look, uh, go Here's, here's 300 bucks. Go to abortionists. Get this done. Keep it quiet. Don't tell people in the church because, you know, they might uh, look badly on you or down on you. Uh, let's just keep this all in the hush-hush. Is that how we want to deal with this, or do we want to deal with it in another way? Do we want to take this woman and say, look, you're in a situation, obviously it's something that uh, is not something that we want to happen all the time, uh, but we want to help you through this, and we want to work with you to uh, have this child and to love this child, and we as a church want to support you with this child, and we want to support you in every way that we need to, financially, spiritually, counseling-wise, helping you with this child after it's born. We want to believe that this child is a child of God and a child of the church, someone that we need to nurture and love. You know, in the baptismal uh, service uh, in the Lutheran Church, uh, people of the church are asked, to take responsibility for a child after it's been baptized. That is, we are supposed to take uh, responsibility for that child if that child goes off the path, off the Christian path, and we want to lovingly bring that child back into the fold. 
And what that means is that the children of the Church, although they're the children of certain parents, they're also children of the Church in general or overall, and we need to take responsibility for that. This is not something that we just get rid of because it's too inconvenient or we just don't like it. We need to take the responsibility, and we need to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So I would ask them to reassess what they're looking at, that if the Church is really doing its job, what place does abortion have? Uh, and I think if they're, if they're honest with themselves, they'll come up with the fact that abortion doesn't have any place. Dennis DeMario is the secretary of the National Pro-Life Religious Council, president of Northern Virginia Lutherans for Life, and the author of the book, A Love for Life, Christianity's Consistent Protection of the Unborn. Dennis, where can people find your book? Well, uh, the best place and the cheapest place to find it is at Lutherans for Life. Lutheransforlife.org. Uh, uh, has it. If you go onto that site and click on what's new, you'll see it right there, and you can buy it for a mere $16. It's also available at the publisher Whippenstock and on Amazon.com, but you're going to pay a little bit more on Amazon.com, so you might want to go to Lutherans for Life.org. Dennis, thanks for being our guest. Thanks so much.